0: I love that, that reminder that not for one minute was I forsaken. Not for one minute was I forsaken. And, uh, you know, yeah, just, just as I've been aware, as I've engaged with different conversations with different people, with, um, you know, yeah, it, it fascinates me because there's, there's a verse in Genesis around the Tower of Babel. Thanks, bro. And, um, you know, part of the, the, you know, they're building this tower. And one of the things that God says while they're building this tower, because, you know, it's not what God's called them to do. It's, it's not what God's called them to do. But they're building this tower. And, and while they're doing it, God says this. And they're communicating together. If they can do this, if they can learn to work together, nothing will be impossible to them. And so he scatters their languages. The, the, the thing we have to understand about that, and I'm not doing exegesis on the book of Genesis this morning, but the thing we have to understand about that is the problem was not that the people were communicating together, it was that in their communication together they were doing what God had not called them to do. And, and, and so God's desire, Andrew talked about this last week, is that we would be, Jesus' prayer in the garden of him, "Is Lord, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. And so God's desire for us, and oh, thank you so much, so people so good to me this morning. Um, you know, God's desire for us is that we would be one, that we would work together, but we would work together for His purposes, yeah? But we agree with that. And, and, and one of the things that I guess interests me around church is, is you tend to find one of two realities in church, and, and we can swing between the two. Number one, is that we all speak the same language and we all know what, what we want, but we've, no one's bothered to check and ask God if that's what He wants, right? And so we're all working together for something, but it's like building a Tower of Babel. Well, secondly, you come to something and, and, and everybody's on a different page. You ever, you ever been like that in church? Like one of the things that, and especially one of the things that we celebrate in our church is diversity. We celebrate, and it's one of the things about being Baptist is that everybody has a voice. Everybody has a piece of the puzzle. Uh, but sometimes what can happen is that can be so diverse. We're supposed to have pieces of the same puzzle. Does that make sense? Like if, have you ever done those um my daughter Taya, she's got these those um those children's puzzles, right? No, not the boss no. She's got these children's puzzles, and they're very simple puzzles. And they've got different pictures on them. They've got the Lion King, and they've got, there's a, I don't know, there's several different ones. But the pieces are all the same template, right? They obviously go through the same machine. So there's, And you'll know them if you had children. There's the boot piece, and there's the plane piece, and there's, you know, they're all there. You've seen them. And the thing is, because the cutout is all the same, if you are clever enough, you can make all the pieces fit together that fit the cutout, put it in the frame, and go, that's not a picture, and so just because all the pieces fit together doesn't mean that it's the picture, Does it, right? And, and so I felt like, you know, in church, we can all have the, the same piece of the same puzzle and it turns out it's the wrong puzzle, or we can all come and go, I've got my piece, I've got my piece, I've got my piece, and you go, ah, oh, cool, well, let's do the Baptist thing where we find the mind of Christ, we throw it all together and go, yeah, hey, that don't look right. Something. I don't, I don't know that we found, I don't know that we got clarity from that at all. And, and one of the things that I guess i found um, maybe it's, maybe it's the, the blessing and the curse of the, the position that I get to sit in during the week, the, pe- the different people that I get to talk to, uh, you know, but also just the fact that we're on social media, you are constantly bombarded by a thousand different opinions, none of which seem to coincide with each other, right? And so, you, you know, if, if you're like me, you've been, on, you've been on Facebook this week, and you see the people are like, uh, who are going, this is terrible, you know, like, like quarantine, I saw one that I thought was great this week, it said, you know, concerts cancelled, travel cancelled, countries on lockdown, work, please be in by (laughs) 7.05. It's like, why aren't they closing? (laughs) And so, but we get this whole, so you've got one end going, this is terrible, and you've got the other end going, like, this is nothing, and you go, "I, I don't know what to believe anymore, you know, and these aren't just random people, these are, some of them are experts, and you go, well, the experts all bring pieces of the puzzle together, and I feel more confused than I did before I got them. And sometimes I think what happens when we come to church is, is sometimes we bring all these pieces together, and, and, you know, because here's what we know. Just simply if we look back in church history. Uh, you look back just recently at what's been happening in Australia with the fires, and one of the, one of the things that they started to talk about was that people started praying. There's, there is nothing like a crisis to drive people to the, the, the possibility of the existence of God, right? When the earthquakes hit Christchurch, the churches in Christchurch grew like never before simply, uh, simply because they were these places within the community and the church suddenly went, we know how to do this because this is how it used to be. And, and so people come in. And, and so what we know simply from history is that when things that create uncertainty happen in the world, people tend to come to God and to the church for answers. The scary part about that is when we're confused, right? And people come and go, I just need help. And they talk to one Christian from this church or one Christian, and sometimes five Christians from the same church and come out going, that didn't help me at all. <laughs> Andrew was talking about this last week. I believe part of, Jesus thing, part, you know, part of Jesus' mission was clarity. That when people come into the house of God, they shouldn't leave confused. And and I just figure that if I'm sitting as a pastor who gets to meet and talk with different people in the church and, and go, I'm confused. If if I'm feeling that way, I'm probably not the only one, right? And so what I wanted to do this morning, and I think it's I think it's incredibly um, apt, I wanted to build on this with what Angela was talking about because there are there are things going on in the media at the moment and in the world at the moment that make us go, what? And yeah, you've got the Christian that says, we should be very, very concerned about this. You've got the Christian that says, this is the sign of the times. You've got the Christian that says, uh, well, this is God's judgment on all of us. You've got the Christian that says, as long as everybody tithes, you won't get coronavirus. A legitimate headline in the paper, which makes me so... Like we're supposed to be a voice of clarity and actually people will go, okay, so either this is Satan, this is God, or this is a test, or this is nothing, or this is everything and I don't know anymore. And I'm not talking just about, you know, the, the coronavirus or, you know, we've got, we've got a, a abortion, we've got all these different things in the media going on, you know, and I've got people coming to me going, when's the church going to make a statement on this? And I'm like, well, it depends, who's the church? Because I could make a statement but there's no guarantee that my statement's your statement. And actually, just through the conversations that I've had, going, if we try to make a statement on this, there's about 20 different views just in this room this morning. I'm one of these people who would prefer to say nothing than to say something that adds confusion. I think as Christians, we're supposed to be people who say less, not more, because we want to add clarity, not confusion. We want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, all these sorts of things, and so a lot of what I've spent the last week or so doing is just listening, and some people have gone, you know, legitimately, you know, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, what are you doing? And you go, oh, I don't know yet, I'm actually watching what that's doing, I'm watching, and actually learning to be okay with that, learning to be okay when we come to church, when we come to God, to go, I do not have the answers. See, actually, the beginning of God being able to work in a church is when a group of people come together and go, I don't know. Someone told me when I got into ministry, your first church will be the easy one. It's the second church that will be the hard one. The reason being, the first church you'll go into, and you'll go, I don't know, so you'll rely on God a whole lot. The second church you go into, you go, well, last time we did this. (laughs) Because suddenly you're an expert. Suddenly you don't need Jesus. Suddenly you don't need the Holy Spirit. What I want to bring back to this morning is we have to get to a place of realizing that we know nothing. Therefore we must lean in to God. And so what I want to do, what I have found helpful in the last week or so, is to start writing a collection of statements or or little things, more for myself than than for church. Um, But some of them will come out this morning. Things that I go, I agree with that. I don't know about step two, but I can agree with that. And, and, and so what begins to happen, you know, part of our thing as a church this year, our, our theme is off the map. We want to explore uncharted territory. And there's a whole bunch of things that we don't know when we go off the map. But there's also things that we do know pr- as principles that benefit us for exploring. Things that we've learned from where we've been, uh, whether whether through success or through failure. Sometimes failure is the best teacher. Any, anyone here a uh, 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 Class A student in the school of failure, like just, <laughs> uh, and so just trying to kind of whittle these little bits and pieces down to try and get to this place of going, God, speak to us, because when we get to a place, and so actually, you know, a, a lot of what I want to do this morning is not necessarily put my opinion on something, but I actually want to strip a whole lot back. So that then collectively we can start to say, you know, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5 to 9 says, with all you're getting, get wisdom. Sometimes as the church, we're more concerned with getting power than we are with getting wisdom. But actually, if you have power and don't have wisdom, you'll always use it badly. And so as the church, we need to make our priority first to get wisdom. I need to find my actual bit. I didn't put my bookmark in. That was smart, eh? My wife journals, and it's beautiful. You open her book, and it's like a work of art, and you go, oh, there's there's the date, and everything runs in chronological order. This is chaos. (laughs) Which actually is exactly what you would see if you looked inside the the, the way that Emma's head works. Emma is very... It all it, works. Mine is like, ah! and then eventually what comes out of that? I go, well, that was good. <laughs> One of the best things about getting to hear me preach on a Sunday morning is you get to hear the end process, not the... <laughs> you get to hear what... Like. Sue has to put up with the, <laughs> the the processing bit. Others in the office have to... We've just moved into an open plan office. I don't know where it is. I'd like, is. This is terrifying to me. God is probably saying something in that, but that's all right got some other notes here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the Australian. (laughs) Uh, There was a release this week from the uh, Baptist Union all around things that we should be doing in Um, you know, what do we start doing as as all these different things. I'm totally buying time. You know that. eh? Um, But one of the things that they said is that we should discourage handshaking and kissing and hugging uh, in the interim and instead suggest, (laughs) I found it, but instead they suggested that actually one of the things that we could consider doing is looking for other non-verbal or non- non, um, physical ways, of non-touching, that's the word I was looking for, thank you, ways of communicating and, and, and loving each other, and you know, I'm a big fan of that, so here's a, here's a good one for you, this is sign language for good morning, it's better than the suggestion of the other one, which was namaste, I, th- I, just thought, I can just imagine some people in the church loving that idea, that we all greet each other with a namaste in the morning, but anyway, um, from, from the top, I found, yeah, So us all take a collective, Let's, good morning. And it's easy because it makes sense. It's good. Everyone knows that one. Even if you've never taken a sign language class in the world, you know what that means. We're we're very familiar with the the one-finger sign language gestures in our community. This is the sun. Good morning. Perfect. So all of this to say, as a church, we need to get our story straight. We are called as the church to be a voice that helps people navigate these times. In learning, there's a lot of confusion. Our voice will either be the voice that helps or hinders the community, right? I don't know about you, I want to be the voice that helps. And so I've been looking at all these kind of things because there's so much confusion. So much confusion. And I want to start to strip some things back and I want to start by looking at this reality. And, And... It's one of these ones that I want to stretch out with you and, and you'll hear this bit and go, I disagree but I think you'll hear this bit and go, right. We spend our whole life trying to live by the book. The book, like the book, capital B, does not tell us to live by the book. The book tells us to live by the Spirit. The book tells us to live by the Spirit. And so, if you want to live your life by the book, the book says live by the Spirit. And the reason that I say that is because so much of what we try to do, so much of where the damage comes, so much of where the confusion comes, is we'll take a bit of the book. We'll take a part of the book. We'll take our favorite chapter of the book. We'll take our favorite book of the book. We'll take our favorite, you know, beginning or the end of the book, whatever. And, and ultimately, we end up living more by the book than by the spirit. And we're called now I'm not I believe this is the most powerful book ever written. On one proviso. You're led by the spirit. Bex was talking this morning about freedom. T you was talking about freedom. Here's here's the statement that I would make in regards to this. If you read this book without the Spirit, it will be the most condemning book you've ever read. It will be the most restrictive book you have ever read. It will be the most difficult book you have ever read, if you read it without the Spirit. However, if you live by the Spirit, this book will be the most liberating book you have ever read, right? Just just making sure that I'm taking you all with me on this journey. I'm not criticizing the Bible. I'm saying that it's not part of the Trinity. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead you to all truth. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This book reveals Him. It points to Him. It leads us to Him. If it doesn't, we will live by the book instead of living by the Spirit. And every Christian who's ever lived by the book instead of living by the Spirit has caused harm. Right? Jesus' Jesus' massive problem when He came into communities was there were people who were living by the book, and He went you don't know me at all. I'm the one the book talks about, but you don't know me at all. We have to be people who live by the Spirit. Again, Paul talks to the, in, the, in the book to the Galatians. I've got like no references this morning. I apologize for that, but the joy is you get to go and read your Bible and make sure it's there. So in the book of Galatians, one of the things that Paul said because you had this whole community of people who had started out; they've been birthed in the Spirit, and then like some people came in and went, "No, no, 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 you have to do this, this, and this because that's what the book says." And Paul writes to them. <laughs> I love Paul because Paul doesn't have time to muck around being a pastor. He, like, like he's like, "I'm, a, I got another place to be. Someone here will tend your wounds after I've offended you." He's like, "I don't have time." <laughs> You couldn't have a church run by Paul. <laughs> Paul is the guest speaker that you get in to speak once a year and then put the wheels back on after he's left. And he brings wonderful truth because he says, you foolish Galatians, why, having started in the Spirit, have you now decided to go back into the law? And here's what he says, because they talk, the big thing about them is, is circumcision, because you've got a bunch of adult people coming to Jesus who don't want to get circumcised. Understandably. And in the Spirit, you know, they've decided, they've talked about this. In fact, it's in the book, Acts chapter 15. They have a conversation and go, don't have to do it. Don't have to worry about it. Then some people come in and go, but it's also in the book that you should. The book is very confusing without the Spirit. Can we acknowledge that? Have you ever picked up your Bible and gone, this is confusing? The point that I'm trying to make is that the church is confusing without the Spirit. And so, you know, because he comes in, and and, and this is what he says, because Paul has such a way with tact and and politely leading people to things. He goes, if you want to go back to that, I wish you'd all emasculate yourselves. Just go the whole way. I'm like, sheesh, Paul, I don't think you can say that from the front. You'll get fired. He's like, I don't work here anyway. (laughs) Because Paul's thing is we must be led by the Spirit. And so my question, if I was to put a challenge to you this morning, is what's leading you? as we navigate these different things, you know, I, I love why Angela said, God has got not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What's leading you? Because too often when we come to situations and circumstances, it's easy to be led by fear. If you're being led by fear, you're not being led by the Spirit. Because perfect love casts out most fear. Thank you, sorry, Really should start reading my Bible in more detail. All fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so we, we have to... Now, that doesn't mean that we go, ah, you know, like, washing your hands is a good idea. <laughs> like, I've got a, I got a friend, she's a germaphobe, and she's on Facebook, and the thing that she can't get her head around is, like, all the soap sold out in her in her supermarket. And she's like, were your people not washing your hands beforehand? <laughs> like, were you, like... I've shaken hands with you people, and now I'm concerned that you weren't washing them, right? (laughs) Wisdom. With all you're getting, get wisdom. Being led by the Spirit means being wise. It doesn't mean being stupid, going, you know what? The Bible says that no poison can harm me, therefore forget it. That's not wisdom. That's spiritual arrogance. That's not being led by the Spirit. If we're going to be led by the Spirit, we have to let Him unfold these things we have to get into places where we're listening to 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 voices of reason where we're (laughs) getting off track we have to live we have to be people who live by the spirit and when we start to live by the spirit one of the things that we start to realize is that blanket policies really don't work well see because what we've often tried to do with the book is make blanket policies We've gone, you know what, the Bible says, and actually when we read the Bible, when we read the whole Bible, one of the things that we learn is actually the big thing that the Bible says, the big big thing that the Bible tries to teach us is that there's one way and his name is Jesus, and he did things a lot of ways. So I I am not, for a moment, there is one way to God and it's Jesus, but he did things a lot of ways to show us That the importance is not the method, but the motive. It's not what we do, but who leads us to do it. That's why Jesus would come to some blind people and go for you, I'm gonna spit in the mud, I'm gonna rub it in your eyes. For others, he prayed for them and they got healed immediately. No mud. Some some people, you know, one time Jesus prays, you know, on this particular you know, with the mud and the guy gets healed immediately. The second occasion he prays, he goes, What do you see? He goes, I see men like trees. And so Jesus goes, let's pray again. So Jesus is showing that it actually doesn't matter whether you pray once, whether you pray twice, whether you put mud in their eyes, whether you don't. What matters is that you're led by the Spirit. And yet what we try to do, because we, lo- we, we love black and white, don't we? we? We love to be able to come in and go, I know that if I do this and I do that, then I'm okay. And all the Bible really shows us is that you can't do that. One of the other scriptures that I've been meditating on the last couple of weeks, the story of Moses and the Israelites and they're thirsty, and God says, hey, Moses, strike that rock, and it'll give water to all the people, and Moses goes, okay, and he hits it with a staff, and it flows with water. A couple of weeks later, and they're in the same position, the people are hungry, and God goes, hey, Moses, speak to that rock, and Moses goes, okay, and he picks up the staff, and he strikes the rock, and water still comes from the rock, you know, and you could argue that you know, the, surely the job got done. One of the things that they teach you in leadership when you're working with stuff is it doesn't matter how the job gets done as long as the job gets done. And yet God's lesson in this, because he says, Moses, he goes, yeah, cool, people drink, but Moses, you will not be going to the promised land because you didn't do what I said. Because for Jesus, it's not important what's done as much as it is whose name is it done in. Whose spirit are you listening to? A- a- and so, you know, sometimes we can go, hey, church is growing. This is happening. This is happening. This looks good. That looks good. This, you know, my, my finances look good. Therefore, I must be in the will of God. And God goes, meh. meh. So there's, there's a freedom when we come to this place of realizing that actually the whole, the, the lesson of the book is be led by the spirit. The lesson of the book Is come to me, know me, follow me, listen to me. My sheep know my voice. Know his voice. So my question is, do we know his voice? We're talking about this with the shepherds, the the, Jesus the shepherd a couple of weeks. Do we know his voice? Do we know his ways? One of the things that I love about Jesus, and uh, the Bible is deliberately a paradox. So that if you're writing this down, this is not an original quote. I can't remember who who, who it's from. Uh, Chris Vollison, actually, I believe it is. But I want you to get this. The Bible is deliberately a paradox because you cannot live by principle. You can only live by the prince the Bible is written in paradox. I know, you're like, oh, I will write that down. Everyone was like, ah, we'll wait and see if it's a good quote. And then I said, oh, no, I will. Hang on, let me get my book. I'll I'll say it again. The Bible is deliberately written in paradox so that you cannot live by principle. You must live by the prince. And that's Jesus. And so we've got a whole lot of things at the moment, and, and, and this is what I guess I struggle with, is how we start to interpret things through Scripture, how we start to deal with situations through Scripture. And we, and we say, the Bible says we have a verse to hang it on, but the question that I actually start to ask is, is that what Jesus would say? And I have a simple lit- litmus test for this. Are you ready for it? It's, it? it's not super profound. You don't have to go to Bible college for three years to learn. It. I have a simple litmus test for it, and you can be the ones that test it. One of the ways that I love to test and go, is this God's plan? It's not the only. It's the first test, right? Is if it's not working, it's not God's plan. Uh, we go. If if I just made another Facebook post, if I just if I just released another statement, if we just did another one of these, if we just did this, then the world would change. And and, and you know what I found? No Facebook post has ever convinced someone to change their mind on anything ever. <laughs> ever. And so we go and do all of these things, and they don't work, and my, my conclusion is, I don't think it's how Jesus would do it, because Jesus did things that worked. When Jesus healed people, they got healed. When, when Jesus spoke truth, it convicted people. When Jesus uh, went, hey, bring me your lunch and feed the five, we'll feed the 5,000, he fed the 5,000, right? Right? And so, so, so often we can be looking at strategies and things and just going, this is because the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and it doesn't work. And I go, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's Jesus because Jesus was good at what he did, right? Now, that doesn't just mean that because something works, it is Jesus because there were plenty of people that did that. I can see I'm confusing people. Let me backtrack here. <laughs> Jesus never tried to justify why he did what he did. Ever. Ever. You know, like, one time, a guy, he heals someone on the Sabbath, or he he proclaims a guy's sins healed on the Sabbath, and they go, you can't do that. It's Saturday. Like, that's, that's it. <laughs> and, Jesus, and, and Jesus doesn't go, well, you see, because of this, I can do, you know, there's, there's these loopholes that mean that you can on the Sabbath do, he just goes, is it easier to forgive a man's sins or tell him to pick up his things and walk? You, get up, go. And he does. And Jesus just goes, I'm just going to let the fruit speak for itself. I'm not I'm not going to write an essay explaining why I did what I did, when I did it, why, you know, and where I did it. On another occasion, a woman washes, washes Jesus' feet with his hair and he goes, that's it, your sins are forgiven. They go, that's not it. You have to pray a prayer inviting Jesus into your heart. He goes, nah. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's one of my favorite verses. I use it a lot. I've seen a lot of people come to Jesus through it. This woman didn't do either. She washed his feet with his hair and just went, yeah, that's it. It's almost like Jesus just does what he wants. It's it's almost like his ways are higher than our ways. (laughs) It's it's almost like he doesn't care what makes you comfortable. And, and so, we come to all of these different kinds of things. And, and the other thing is, there's a lot of foundation. I don't even know if I'm going to get into where I, we might be doing this as a two-parter. Yeah, I love what Shane says. I believe the Bible. Well, which part? Because if we take it all, ultimately it leads us to live by the Spirit. The Bible is not a static. In fact, the purpose of the Bible is to show you the diversity of the ways that Jesus worked. So that you come and go, there is no method. There is only Him. The other one that I would say is this. We're very good at making statements for our benefit. You know, Have you ever felt... One of the things that I've started doing with Facebook, um, for those of you that are on it, one of the things that I've started doing is going, okay, if, 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 if this is God, if God is calling me to write this, you know, go actually, h- for whose benefit am I writing this for? And if I don't arrive at the right conclusion, I've decided actually I won't write it. Do you know how many things I've stopped writing on Facebook because of that? Because actually, well, actually, I'm writing this to try and justify m- me. Or I'm writing this to try and have a go at someone else. Or I'm writing this to be, you know, for for whatever else. And actually, I've come to this place of now going, if I'm going to make a statement, if I'm going to write something, if I'm going to say something, it must be for the benefit of the people that Jesus wants to reach. And that doesn't mean you tell them what they want to hear. But here's what I know. I had a picture at the start of this year, and, and it was like Jesus showed me two job descriptions. One had my name on the top of it, one had his name on the top of it. But I was holding the one with his name on top of it, trying to do his job, trying to do his thing, trying to do all of his duties. How often in church do we go, oh, I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to do this, and actually I think Jesus is probably sitting there going, actually, my job, my job, my job. And then we're sitting going, Jesus, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need, and Jesus is going, actually, your job, your job your (laughs) responsibilities, which brings me to this revelation of actually how many problems in the church and how many problems in my Christian walk could be solved if I started trying to do the things that he told me to do and stop trying to get him to do them and stop trying to do the things that he's supposed to do, because this is what I've learned. When we try, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us to all truth. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, So, conviction of sin, my job description, his job description, his. Do you know what happens when I try to do conviction? Condemnation, every single time. Every time we try to do the convicting, it comes across as condemnation, because we do not have the spirit, the power, the ability, that's that's his job description. And so, so often what we try to do is go, I'm going to write this Facebook post. It's going to convict the world. And then everybody goes, that was very mean and horrible and nasty. And (laughs) you go, ah, it's because I picked someone else's job description up again. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If we lead people to the one who is freedom, He will set them free. So my job becomes lead people to the one who sets them free which raises the question does my language does the way that i deal with crisis in the media lead people to the one who will convict them and set them free or does it push them away from him and there's a lot of things that i'm seeing at the moment there's a lot of things that i'm hearing at the moment that i'm concerned about because i actually think they detour people from the person of jesus and i go But our goal is for them to meet him. And yet the very thing we're doing is is inhibiting the goal that he set. Does that make sense? Have I said that well? Good, perfect. Erwin McManus, some of you will know him, one of my favorite preachers, Mosaic Church in LA. He was asked to speak several years ago at a conference filled with billionaires, American billionaires, Christian billionaires, who had invested billions and billions and billions of dollars into campaigning against government causes, into uh, fighting for certain things, freedoms for churches, into all these sorts of you know all these different kinds of things. And they invited him to speak. And he said, I never got invited back. <laughs> he was another Paul, I think, in that regard. Because he stood up and he said to these people, How much change has happened because of the billions and billions of dollars that you've spent? And they went, uh, None. And he went, then you've wasted billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. And they didn't like that very much. <laughs> they didn't like being told that the resources that they'd taken, they're hard-earned resources that I put into the kingdom of God, and you're telling me that I wasted them. He's like, well, here's what I know. If Jesus had put billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars towards something, it would have worked. <laughs> it didn't work. Therefore, I wonder. And he said, the answer, his reason was this. You cannot preserve culture. You can only create culture. And so we're in, you, you know, I actually think we're in an opportune moment because culture in the world is redefining itself. Who we are, what we believe in, what we stand for, all these sorts of things. However, if we try to preserve culture, we will miss the bus. You cannot preserve culture. You can only create culture. Preserving culture looks like saying things like, we've always done it this way. Or back in the day. You know, uh, h- how, many, how many Facebook posts in the last couple of weeks or media releases from churches in the last couple of weeks have started with back in the day? Or 20 years ago? Or 30 years ago? Or r- r- however long it was? And you go, the moment you start, the, you're starting with a preserving culture instead of a creating culture. See, Donald Miller says it this way, the best story wins. I want to ask you a question, who's telling the best story this morning? Is it the world or is it Jesus? Let me bring it a little bit closer to home. Who's telling the best story? Is it the church or is it Jesus? Because actually we're supposed to be telling the same story. Jesus is telling a wonderful story, a story of hope, a story of life, a story of freedom. We need to make sure that we're presenting that same narrative. Because if we don't present that narrative, someone else will write the narrative of the church for us. What's happening in the media at the moment? The church think this, the church do this, the church say this, the church, and you go, I'm not saying any of those things. (laughs) But in the absence of writing the narrative, someone else will write it for you. Which brings me to a couple of observations. What is it that we want, really? Like, I feel like God would ask the question this morning of his people, what is it that you want, really? Not what do you say you want, not what do, you, but what do you, if you were to strip it all back, you know, the Bible says that the human heart is deceitful above all else. We don't just get deceived by other people, we deceive ourselves. And we go, this is what I want. And then someone challenges you one day and you go, ah, oh, actually what, what I really want is this. You know, and, and so my, my thing in church is come back to, what is it that we want? Because what I would think, what, what I hope that we want, really what we want is we want to know God and we want other people who don't know Him to know Him. Those are our two main goals. But how quickly can that become eclipsed by? I want my particular biscuit served at morning tea. I deliberately picked the most trivial one I could think of, so as not to get not to offend anybody in the room. I'll let Jesus do that for you. Um, but what do I really want? You know, do, do I want to know God and other people to know God? Or do I just want to fill this room with people for my ego's sake? Right? Do I just want to have a bunch? Of, do I want people to know God? Do, do I want us to know God and to meet other people? Or do I just want the four songs on Sunday morning to be really banging? You know, Or if I'm on the stage, do I want to know God and want people to know God? Or as long as they sing loudly, am I happy? Like, what do I really want? And I believe that God is using this uh, the, the, some of the things in, in me and I believe in the church to go, what is it that we really want? Because when we know what we really want, it's starting to sound like a Spice Girl song. <laughs> you laughed way too loudly at that one. That <laughs> <laughs> when I know what I really, really, really want. <laughs> I will make heaven and earth move for that. When we understand what Jesus really wants, when we align what we really want with what he really wants, he will move principalities and powers to make that happen. It's like there's a reason I've never won lotto. God does not want me to win lotto. And uh, you know, you go, also just in the interest of transparency, I've never bought a ticket (laughs) just (laughs) before we go to, but I, I would be, I would be terrible. I'd like to think that I would be good. You know, I go, oh, I give this much to church and I give this much to that. Nah, well, I mean, I would, but the rest of that would still ruin me. And so God goes, no, you, I'm not going to do that for you. And yet there are others, uh, you know, there are others in churches who just seem to make money. You ever say, like they just, they, they start a business and they just make money and you go, how? And God goes, because I know it won't ruin them. I, I, know, I know they're well above that. And that's not a criticism, it's just a reality. This is, God gives us spiritual gifts. So when we know what God wants, what the aim is, what we really, really, really want, we will be led by the Spirit to that place. And certain things will change in how we do life. So I, have, I generally have a policy not to talk politics in church, right? Right? But I do want to talk politics a little, no, I don't want to talk politics. I want to talk spirituality among politics, because one of the most hurtful things that can happen, and we're seeing this at the moment in America, we're seeing it in New Zealand, we're seeing it all over the world, is that we support politicians and political parties like football teams, right? Now my particular football team just got knocked out of the Champions League. It's deeply, deeply disappointing. But you know what I don't do? I don't go, right, my new team's the one that just beat them. Because that's my team, right? And whether they're winning or whether they're losing, you know, and and that's how we should approach church. When we come to church, I'm not in this this church as long as it's winning. I'm in this church because it's my people. It's my team. It's the place God's called me. So whether we're winning or whether we're losing, when you take that approach and you put it on a political party, that's called stupidity. Because they're not a sports team. When the the people running the country and you go, that's the people I've always voted for, therefore that's the people I will always vote for. You know, and and we've got our rhymes and the things, you know, all, all sorts of things. And I'm not, there's a very deliberate reason that I'm not naming parties because I'm not having a go at a party. I'm saying that when it comes to what God wants for this country, we must be led by the spirit, not by a political agenda, not by a loyalty that our parents had or I've had for the last five years or or whatever it may be. I mean, I got criticized three years ago because I changed who I voted for. I don't talk about that here, but someone went, how dare you? I'm like, well, because I'm, I'm serving him. And so I asked him, what are you doing? The other thing that happens is when we identify these things, it's not about, let me tell you a story in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, depending on how you want to pronounce it. There's this story where Habakkuk, the minor prophet, says to God, Something really weird's going on in Israel. You know, this is happening and that is happening and this is happening and, and you know, there's poverty and there's famine and there's, there's all these sorts of things. And, and, and God, what? And God's reply is, the Babylonians are coming. I mean, how, like how much more encouraging, like, you know, you go to God and go, look, I'm feeling really downcast. Here. People are struggling. God help me. And he goes, the Babylonians are coming. And, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to exile you. They're going to kill some of you. They're going to do all sorts of these different things. And actually, I'm going to use them to bring you back to myself. God will use anyone he wants. Any kind of God can use leadership. Do you know what God's application was for that? Or do you know what God didn't expect? And that Just because God says he's about to use the Babylonians does not mean that you go out and get hats made saying, make Babylon great again. So we can pray for a political leader. We can, we can support, without endorsing it as going like God's, put a seal, God's seal of approval was always on the Israelites. His heart was for those people. And he said, but that there I'm going to use to get this to where I want to go. And so it gives us an eternal conflict. Uh, uh, because otherwise we start going, well, God said he's going to use the Babylonians, so re- we should really start wearing T-shirts supporting them. It wasn't what God wanted. He's like, he did not say the Babylonians are coming and I expect you to enjoy it. <laughs> like, he went, but, but Paul says all, all leadership, all authority is given by God. And so can we sit in a place where we support and pray and, uh, for our authority, for our leaders, saying God uses everyone in authority without going, you're his favorite. Because that's historically what the church has done. We've jumped on political bandwagons like sports bandwagons, sports teams. That's all I'm trying to say. We have to be open to going, what is the Spirit saying? Not what is, uh, I'll, I'll go there. We have to be open to what is the Spirit saying? Not what is my pastor saying? We have to be open to saying, what is the Spirit saying? Not what are my parents saying? However, we still need to honor our parents in that. That's why the Bible's written in paradox. Because you can't live by principles, you can only live by the prince. We have to listen to what the Spirit is saying, not what popular opinion is saying. We have to listen to what the Spirit is saying, not what our favorite preacher is saying, or or whatever. But within all of that, we also have to be mindful that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And so sometimes the very people that God speaks to are the very people you would never listen to. (laughs) Why? Because He wants you to be led by the Spirit. One of my favorite things is when someone comes to me and says, I feel like I'm supposed to do this, and the reason is because this preacher said so. And I go, you hate that preacher. And like, yeah, but I just felt really convicted. And I'm like, well, that's got to be God. (laughs) Because you wouldn't have done it otherwise, right? Because that's what happens when we're led by the Spirit. We will be led by whatever voice is carrying the Spirit of truth on it. And part of what I believe that God is calling us to do at the moment is to hear the spirit of truth that is on a narrative that's not necessarily what we're speaking. Does that make sense? It takes a bold step. You know, I suddenly understand why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because there is a lot of pressure and trembling in, in my spirit to go, God, I need to hear you. I don't ne- I don't need to hear that latest email. I don't need to hear what the church down the road is doing. I need to hear you. And if I do what everyone else is doing and it's wrong, and it's, that I will stand before you and I will give account to that but if I hear what you're saying and I don't step out boldly and do it, I'll have to give account of that too. And so we have to be led by the Spirit, which requires so much vulnerability from us because it requires going off the map when suddenly a bunch of people go, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you going there? Why, what's happening? I'm going to stop there because I could talk for a whole lot longer, but uh, like I say, part of what I'm trying to do is invite you into the mess of my head. It's not a a pretty place. But what we are trying to do is find the clarity of God among it. And so the truth that we know, can we all stand together? The truth that we know this morning is that no matter what, God is in control. And so I want to encourage you, I want to bless you this morning to be a church that hears the voice of God over the voice of the media. I want to bless you to be a church that that, that hears the voice of God over the voice of the conservatives. I want to bless you to be a church that, that, that hears the voice of God over the voice of the liberals. It's not about one or the other. It's about going, God, what are you saying to me? Can we just pray for a moment? Jesus, we need to know your voice, we need to know your heart. we need to know your righteous anger and your righteous peace. We need to learn to sit in the place that you sit, seeing the beginning from the end, seeing the things that grieve your heart but being able to see them from a place that also you always have hope because you always know, because you always see the victory at the end of it. Jesus, we pray that we would be a church that sees the beginning from the end, not in our own strength, but in you, your spirit. Lord, may we be people that live by your spirit, Lord, we love this book. We love the Bible when we are led by your Spirit. In fact, Lord, I believe that the world would love the Bible if they could hear it through your Spirit. And so, Lord, help us to be people that speak your Word in your Spirit. And God, may we be a voice of hope in uncertain times. Lord, may we be a voice of life and never condemnation. May we be voices, no, not even voices, may we be one voice as your church. Jesus, you said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because we are called to be people of the Spirit because you have anointed us to preach good news, to restore sight to the blind, and to proclaim freedom to the captives. Would what we want be what you want? Would our agendas and our thoughts be aligned with your agenda and your thought? And we know that when our thoughts are aligned with yours, We can sleep without fear. We can love without restriction. We can hope in places that seem hopeless. And we can speak life where others can only see death. According to the power of Jesus within us. And Jesus, we honor you and glorify you. And we seek to serve you in everything we do. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that was somewhat helpful for you. I hope that gives you something.